It's great to be with you this morning. We had a wonderful bit of a break as a family. We were in the Kruger Park for about eight days and uh, really blessed. I had great family time. Warm weather. It was up to 37 degrees on some of the days. It was, yes, wonderful. So really wonderful. And we were really blessed. We were always favored by the Lord when we go to the Kruger Park. We saw everything. For years and years, I've wanted to see a, 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 a constrictor, a rock python. And this year, we finally saw a rock python in a tree. So it was a really great time, and uh, thank you to those that ministered here, and uh, I know you had good times and watched some of the services over YouTube and joined in from with that, and I know it was a great time. This morning, I, I want to share a word with you that I, I felt particularly as, as a word of preparation for the season that we're going into as a community. Next Sunday, as the announcement said, we're going to be privileged to have Dr. Ed Delft with us and come and share the word, and, uh, and I think that's going to be a great Sunday. You don't want to miss that. I think it's going to be a wonderful time together. And then after that, next week, we will be launching our theme for the term, which is Faith Through Tough Times, Faith Through Tough Times. But I felt the Lord just today wanting to share with us something to position us correctly for that, the journey that he has ahead of us. And so the title of my message is When Opportunity Knocks. And I want to talk with a little bit about opportunity and uh, making the most of the opportunities that come our way. I think it's the, the, the heart of our father is that he does not want us to miss moments and key opportunities. But if you're anything like me, we have, I will probably can tell you many stories in my life of opportunities that I missed. Just perhaps sometimes somebody invited you to some event to go to and ugh, you were lazy, you didn't want to go to it and, and you didn't go and then everybody comes back and says, wow, <coughs> wow, <coughs> there goes my voice. And people come back and say, wow, it was so awesome, it was so great and you missed out. And it's part of life, I suppose. But I think the Father really wants us to make use of our opportunities. I think of a story that was recorded in the, in the National Geographic a couple of years ago of um, Marco Polo. And Marco Polo, as you know, was a famed explorer and discoverer. But he seemed to have gotten that from his dad, who was also an explorer. And in 1260, his, uh, Marco Polo's father went to Mongolia and out to China, and they went and, and did some exploring there, and, and they met with the Mongolese people, and eventually had a time where they, they met with the emperor of Mongolia. And in their interaction, the emperor of Mongolia asked them that if they wouldn't be prepared to speak to the pope, and he actually addressed a letter to the pope and asked them to deliver the letter, where he requested that the pope would send them a hundred priests to come and share the gospel with the people of Mongolia. They were very open and interested in that. So at the time of the end of their journey, they, they went home. It took them about three years to get back home. And they stayed there for two years and delivered the letter to the Pope, Marco Polo's father, and requested. But the church felt at the time that they had too much going on. They couldn't spare a hundred priests to go to Mongolia. So eventually when Marco Polo's father returned to Mongolia, they sent two priests with them. But these two priests even didn't make the journey. Halfway through the journey, they turned back and went home. So when Marco Polo's dad went back to uh, Mongolia, nobody went with them to share the gospel. How different the history of China could have been if that opportunity wasn't missed to share the gospel with that nation. We don't know. Often in our lives, opportunities come along. And it's so many of the occasions we only in hindsight realize what a key moment we had or a key moment we missed. 
And I want to take us to an account of a person in the scripture, in the New Testament, in the time of Jesus, that was afforded certain opportunities, and this person had the ability to maximize every one of the opportunities that she was given. And this is the story of the life of Mary, the sister of Martha. So if you want to, you can go with me to John 12, and I'm going to be reading this morning from the New Living Translation, and I want to read for you John 12, verse 1 to 8, and sort of introduce this character, this person to us, and, uh, so that we can possibly learn a lesson or two from her. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it. Wiping his feet with her hair, the house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, The perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Jesus replied, Leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. We get a bit of a window into a moment that happened here. Now we must remember we have the privilege of hindsight when we read and we look at this event, this account that happened in history. We look at it from the privileged advantage point, vantage point of knowing what this was going to happen shortly after this. But we must remind ourselves that the people gathered this day in the house of Lazarus and Martha and Mary in this event, they don't know what's going to happen in the next couple of days. And I think it's therefore that John, to make the point, says the following. He starts the story by saying, it was the sixth day before the Passover celebration began. He was saying basically that they were gathered in that house that day, like many families and many groupings of people would have done at that time. This was the most important time for the people of Israel to gather over their calendar, the Passover week. And we've spoken about it before, how Jerusalem would be a bit of a festival town. And then when it came to the Passover week, all the families and people would come from all over the, the world at that time and come back to Jerusalem to come and celebrate the Passover feast. And it was a requirement of the Jews that lived in, in Jerusalem that they would open their homes at that time and the towns around Jerusalem, like Bethany was, that they would open their homes to host their family, their friends, and even strangers would come into their homes and come and live with them for that period of time to be able to join in with the celebrations of the Passover week. So Jesus was really good friends, and as we read the stories today, you'll see how the friendship developed with Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha. And so when Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, he naturally made a stop at their house and actually spent a couple of days of the early part of that week. He spent there in Bethany staying with them because they were close to him. They, they were sort of a way station for him, the, a natural place for him to go when he's in the vicinity to just hang out, to just spend time with his friends and his disciples. They were all welcome in that home. So this was a normal event that would have happened every year in all of the homes in Jerusalem. They would have had these meals, these occasions where the families would gather. This meal was a meal in the honor of Jesus. 
So what that probably meant was that, that Martha and Lazarus and Mary told the people Jesus is coming and the people that were Jesus' friends, that were close to Jesus, that wanted to see Jesus and whom Jesus wanted to spend time with, they invited them to come to a meal at their house and it was in honor of Jesus. It was a meal to celebrate who Jesus was and to, to give people access and time to spend with Jesus. So there were a number of people in the house. It was a normal kind of special event but a a meal that would have happened in many different occasions and settings. But with hindsight, we know that this was more of a special meeting than just that. We know that five days from this point, from this meal, Jesus would be hanging on a cross. We know that this was the week where everything changed. We know that this is Sunday that we're talking about that by Thursday, Jesus would be arrested, and by Friday evening, he would be taken and be placed on the cross. We know that this was something more. This was a key moment. This was a special time. There was something important about this time because we can look back at it. So here these disciples and friends of Jesus are gathered in this room on this day. And they're having a great time. They, they're visiting, they're eating, they, they're drinking some wine. They're just having a great time. And at the end of the meeting, of the evening, of the meal possibly, as, as people are perhaps in different groupings, you know, like what it is when, when people are at your home and it's a large party of people, they make groupings and one group is sitting over there and one is over there and one's over there and they're all busy speaking to one another and, and, and this group may not be knowing exactly what's going on in that group, but everybody's sort of in the same room, but just having a great time just chatting with one another, suddenly something happens in the room and it arrests everybody's attention. The room's smell changes. From a room filled with people and the smell of people and the smell of food and everything that was going on, another smell comes and fills the room. And it's this strong odor of this very expensive perfume that is poured out. So in this sort of normal event, suddenly something quite unusual happens. Mary comes. She, she's gone to fetch from her room probably this jar. And she comes and falls at the feet of Jesus. And she takes this jar and she breaks it and spills all of that perfume. Not a, a good measure, not a reasonable amount, not, but all of it just pours out on the feet of Jesus. If it was 12 pounds, perhaps one pound sort of you know, rested on the feet of Jesus and the rest just falls on the floor, and spills into the floor. And suddenly the whole room is filled with this perfume and everybody stops and comes to a standstill and all attention is turned onto this which Mary's doing. And she's washing Jesus' feet with her hair. A very intimate, dare I say perhaps even uncomfortable scene if I was in that room and that happened, you know, you'd fidget a little bit. You'd, you'd, it's not a moment where you take out your phone and take a selfie, you know, with, with this going on. It's just a bit of an awkward kind of moment almost. And, and everybody stands there. Now we, we, don't get an, we don't get the privilege of knowing how everybody felt about it. But John gives us one person's perspective of this event that took place. And, and that was the perspective of Judas. He shows us how Judas responds to this that's going on in the room. He gives us Judas's thought process. And it's, 
I know it's not what everybody says. Everybody may have had a different reaction, but he highlights as, almost as if he's contrasting Judas with Mary as a literary instrument. He's saying, this is Mary, and to show the value of what she's doing, I'm contrasting it with Judas and how he feels about this. And Judas's response is a response of ridicule almost, a response of looking at what she's doing and shaking his head at it and saying, this is silly, this, this shouldn't happen. This is not right, because from Judas' perspective, the way he looks at what is happening, he sees waste. He sees that she is wasting something. I don't think he had a problem with the fact that she was ministering to Jesus, but did she need to do it in such a wasteful way? Couldn't she have taken that expensive perfume? If she really wanted to do something good, wouldn't it have been better to go and sell that perfume and take the money and give it to the poor? I mean, that's a worthwhile way of thinking. That, and that's often what happens even in our contexts. Sometimes, you know, good Christian people will do something as an act of worship and somebody will look at you and go, really, you should have rather taken that money and given it to somebody else or, or done something better with it. Why did you give that money to the church? You could have done something better with it. Or whatever it is. It's the same kind of thinking. The reason, though, why Judas is thinking like this particularly is because his heart is filled with greed and selfish gain. Because he had learned the habit at that time already to help himself to the, whatever the income was that Jesus' ministry had. He was the one that was uh, looking after Jesus' funds, and he would help himself to the money every now and then. Now, it blows my mind a little bit that Jesus, being Jesus, must have known that this was going on and did nothing about it. But that's a point for another day. So Judas has been helping himself. His heart has been turned. And we know again with the privilege of hindsight that in that week what was going to happen with Judas is that he would finally be corrupted by going to take a bribe, not from the Guptas, but from the Pharisees. <laughs> if a report is written, it would have been the capture of the heart of Judas. Hashtag heart capture or something like that, Sean says. It, it would have been all over. You know, it, it, he, he entered into this relationship with the Pharisees where they paid him for information and to turn on Jesus. But that was possible because his heart was already going in that direction. His heart was already opening to this which drove him, which was his need for selfish material gain. gain. So his heart in this moment, we see what was going on in his heart in response to this extravagant act of worship. And it's amazing how extravagant acts of worship always evokes opinions and responses from other people. How he, this extravagant act of worship, we see that what, what it produced in the heart of Judas. How he was distracted from what was really going on in that moment through the own proclivities and of his heart, the bent, the weakness of his own soul was revealed in that moment. Now, it doesn't tell us, like I've said now, how everybody else felt, but it does produce for us a picture where Mary is the only one at that moment which is responding in this way. And she's pouring out this worship, this ministry on the feet of Jesus. Now, I've heard it said that this perfume was of such a strong nature that that amount of perfume on the body of a person would last for quite a while. 
And it is possible that even when Jesus was going through the whole time of the crucifixion and the process before that, that this smell would still have been upon him of this perfume. So it was almost like, like what she was doing was, was, was recognizing who Jesus was and paying respects to Jesus before he dies. You know, when, when we have a funeral, we would gather together and talk about the person and we would have eulogies and people come and talk about the wonderful things that this person did and we would pay honor and respect to this person. And uh, so often we say, man, wouldn't it be nice if we did this while the person was still alive instead of waiting while they're dead and they can't hear what we actually appreciated about them? And I know nowadays it's actually become something that people perhaps with terminal illness that knows their death's coming close would host an event like this where they would get people to come and honor them while they're still alive. It's almost like Mary did this where she came and said, I'm going to show respect to Jesus in, because I know what's coming. Now it's remarkable that she knew and could respond what everybody else knew, but she's the only one that responded in this way. Because Jesus was telling everybody at that time, my death is coming, it's coming close. But I think nobody else could really pick up the imminence of it, could really understand. They, they were all trying to process this and through their own filters and their own minds and thinking, so they, they didn't really pick up on the urgency of what, what Jesus was saying, but Mary did. Mary did. And she comes and she pours out this perfume on the body of Jesus so that when Jesus was hanging on the cross and the people were ridiculing him and mocking him and rejecting him and, and belittling him, that this perfume every now and then, perhaps as it came to his nostrils, would remind him that not everybody felt that way about him, that not everybody ridiculed him, that not everybody saw no value in him, not, not, not everybody rejected him, but that there were people that loved him, that honored him, that accepted and received him. So Mary comes and she ministers to Jesus. But how is it possible that this lady... Not somebody that we would necessarily expect this from could pick up on the significance of this moment so well. How is it that she read the moment 100% correctly? I mean, Jesus turns around and says, leave her alone. Don't hinder her in what she's doing. She's doing the exact thing that is needed at this moment. She's preparing me for my burial. How is it that she picked this up? This question becomes a little bit more intriguing for me as I realize that this is not the only time she did it. She's on other occasions also picked up exactly what the right thing was that the moment required and didn't miss an opportunity. Let's go to the, the first time that it is recorded of how Mary and Martha and Lazarus got to know Jesus. The story is recorded for us in Luke 10. And I just want to read you this very well-known portion of Scripture, Luke 10, verse 38. If you're watching on YouTube and joining us on the radio, it would be great if you just get your, your Bible and just turn to Luke 10, verse 38. And I'm going to read till verse 42. It says, And Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem. Another time when they were traveling to Jerusalem and one of the surrounding towns was Bethany and often that was the road that people took into Jerusalem. They came to a certain village where a, man, a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. 
Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits there while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There, there is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. Another occasion where Mary hits the sweet spot does exactly what the moment requires from her in the words of Jesus. In this story, where in the previous story, Mary is contrasted with Judas, in this story, Mary is contrasted with Martha, her sister. Now, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, like I said earlier, became really close friends of Jesus, but this is the moment their relationship started. They became really sort of part of Jesus' inner circle, this family. They, they became those people that Jesus often would just go and spend time with and just hang out with. If you, you know those people that you just, you just want a nice evening where it's just, you could take off your feet, your shoes, take off your feet. Take off your shoes. I don't know if you have those kind of friends that you can just take off your feet when you go visit them. But you know, Jesus goes and just wants to kick off his shoes and just, just hang out with somebody. Lazarus and his family, his two sisters, became those people for Jesus, close to Jesus. Part of his friendship circle, close friends of Jesus. But here, it's now the first time that Jesus is coming to their house. Now, if you read the stories, other stories about this family, then you realize that Martha was quite well known in her area for being a great host. She was a very hospitable person. She knew how to entertain people. She knew how to get people into her home and just make you feel great. And just, have you, do you have people like that that you go to and it's just great to visit with them? They just make you feel so at home and it's so comfortable and it's so easy and they, they, just, they just spoil you when you go to visit them. Or perhaps you have friends that make you feel the other way. <laughs> have you ever been in somebody's house and it's just not comfortable? It's our privilege, Natasha and I, with the travels that we do and over the years from our Year of Your Life days and outreaches and thank you very much. And uh, on cue, I'm just checking you guys up if you, you know, I know it's early. But, uh, you know, that throughout the years and even now when we travel to stay in with hosts in their homes and I really enjoy staying with host people because most of the time they really look after you well. But every now and then you get a family that really shouldn't host somebody. I remember many years ago, Natasha and I, we found ourselves in such a home where we were staying with this, we were leading an outreach team. It was on our year of your life days and we were reaching, leading this outreach team and we stayed in this home and the lady of the house, I don't know if in her former life she was a concentration camp warden or something, but man, she just, she was not very warm and hospitable and I really found it out one morning I got up and I wanted to warm something in the microwave and you know, it's a Christian home and we Christians and we all love the Lord Jesus. So I thought I could just open the microwave and warm my stuff. And so when I opened the microwave, she came walking in the kitchen and she said, what are you doing? Like, I thought, sorry, I'm trying to warm this. She said, if you want to use my microwave, ask me in the future. It's not, you know, how many of you know we didn't, we tried to spend as little time as possible in that house. And it, and it ha but Martha was one of these people. She, you just wanted to have an invite to her house. She knew how to make people feel comfortable. She was a great host. So she gets the news, Jesus is coming to town and he's gonna come and have a meal at your house. Man, the Noritake set gets taken out. The fine china, the silverware gets polished. 
The house gets cleaned. It's like, you know, when we have special guests coming, we clean the house. The boys, they, we trick them by now. You know, we don't tell them. Until the, we just tell them, this Saturday, we've got people coming, you've got to clean. And then we get them to clean things where the guests will never go. But we just maximize the opportunity, you know. We just make use of the moment. And, and you clean the house, and you prepare, and the best of everything is, you know, and that chair with a hole in is taken outside and hidden somewhere. And, you know, the dogs and the cats are read the riot act. And, you know, everything is perfect because the special guest is coming. So Martha gets everything perfect. And Jesus, and, and probably his disciples at least, came and they're having a meal at her house. And it's a great time. And Jesus is busy teaching. He's busy sharing some of the secrets of the kingdom. He's, he's instructing, discipling his disciples right there in their living room, right there in their lounge. This, the kingdom is busy happening. And Martha is running around. And she is just cooking. You can hear the pots and the pans clanging and, and, and she's pouring stuff and she's all the time, she's just looking. You know, when you put your glass down, she refills it, you know. She's just, man, the chips are out, the dip, everything. It's just amazing. She's busy, man. But you know what it's like if, if you serve in a situation like that and there's one of your family members and they're just not pulling their weight? Often it happens in our house. We get people over, I sit and visit and Natasha is the one running around. And then I'll, I'll notice her, but I know now not to look at her. Because she'll be running past and serving something, and then every now and then I know she's trying to catch my eye with that look. Like, really? Are you not going to help me? I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm focused on the guests. And... Uh, and so, so Martha is you know, carrying a tray through and catching the eye of Mary and like, you know, doing that come and help me thing. And Mary just smiles and keeps on listening to Jesus. So the next time she comes through the lounge, she, she walks close to Mary and, and sort of gives a little nudge with her knee, you know, just sort of, but Mary just sits there. Eventually, Martha gets a bit frustrated with this to the point that she does what any sibling will do to a younger sibling in a situation like this. You embarrass them. So she says to Jesus, who is the authority in the room, she says to Jesus, won't you speak to this sister of mine? Can you see how hard I'm working and really trying to give you the best of what I've got and serving you and ministering to your need? Can you not speak to this sister of mine that she must help me? And I mean, the realistic expectation would have been that Jesus would have said, Mary, really, you should help your sister. Can't you see how hard your sister is working? But what does Jesus do? He says, Martha, Martha, you're distracted. You're so busy with the little details. You're missing what this moment is really about. Whereas Mary, she is doing exactly what this moment requires. I don't know what Mary, Martha did at that point. But she must have handled it well, but they became close friends of Jesus. But you see where Judas was distracted by his heart that was set on his selfish gain... Martha was distracted by his desire to do the perfect and the right thing for that moment. And it's almost as if Mary's roles in this story was reversed. In the first story, she was the one that did the action of ministry. And in the second one, she's the one that does seemingly little. But in both occasions, Jesus commends her and says that she's doing the right thing. So the right thing wasn't about serving or not serving. It was responding to what the moment required in the correct way. And Mary did this. 
You see, it's almost like Jesus was saying to Martha in some way, he was saying, Martha, I'm so appreciative of your service and how a wonderful host you are and how great you are and how amazingly you're serving us. But there comes a point where you should stop hosting and start visiting. There comes a point where we should let well enough be enough. Your pursuit of perfection and trying to get everything right is keeping you from experiencing what is really going on. You see, Mary was recognizing that right there in their living room was the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The bread of life was sitting in their living room and breaking the fresh bread of the truth of the kingdom was being broken right there in their living room. She probably recognized as a younger woman This was one of the few opportunities she would have in her life to sit in in a conversation like that and to sit in a circle like that. And she said, nothing is going to keep me from sitting with the one in whom I live and move and have my being. It is because of this person that I exist and it is for this person that I exist. And how how can I not drink in the words of life? And that was, I think, where she was at that moment. And it wasn't that that meant you didn't serve Jesus. You could have served Jesus. You could have hosted him well. But at some point recognize that presenting a perfect home to Jesus wasn't the most important thing that could have happened on that occasion. There was something else going on. Now when I read these two stories, I I ask myself, how is it possible that Martha, uh, Mary, had this ability to do this. Not just once, but on at least these two occasions. She knew what the right thing was to do. Einstein said, in the middle of every difficulty lies opportunity. She could see the opportunity, not just the circumstances that was going on. Somebody once said that luck is that which happens when preparation meets opportunity. She, you may think she was lucky, but on two occasions, she was prepared for the opportunity. I mean, she had that year's worth of perfume, and she recognized the opportunity for that which she had prepared to have been ministered. How did she do that? I think it's when we read the third story of Jesus interacting with this family that we start seeing the pattern and we possibly recognize the secret to her success. And it's of course the story of the death of Lazarus. In John 11, we read the story of the news coming to Jesus. He's being sent for, he's being asked to come to his close friend, Lazarus, because by this time they were really close. He said, come, your friend is ill, he need, they need you. But Jesus says, I'm not gonna come right away. Because there's something else going on here than what everybody else is seeing. So he waits, he tarries. And when we read in verse 17, we read the story, it says the following. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem. And many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. 
When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would have not died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises. At the last day, Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who believes who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Jesus weeps. Then she returned to Mary. Oh, sorry, that's the title of the next thing. So then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and he wants to see you. So Martha comes. She's the first one to come out to Jesus. And she has a great conversation with Jesus, a very astute, theologically correct conversation with Jesus about the resurrection. And, and we actually here realize the depth, the strength of her faith, that she knew the right things, she understood the right things, and she had faith, she knew who Jesus was. But then we see what happens when Mary comes. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him. And he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? It is phenomenal to me that both Martha and Mary said exactly the same things to Jesus. The same opening statement. If you were here, surely he wouldn't have died. But Jesus responds to them differently. Now I think it was always Jesus' plan. It was always that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But it is interesting to note in the story that who moved Jesus to action? Who moved Jesus into an emotional response to what was going on? With Martha, he had a conversation about the truth. With Mary, he responds emotionally and he acts. Now, I don't think it's, I don't want to make too big a deal of that. But I do think the scripture puts it out for us to note why is it that Mary had this ability to just do the right thing in the right situation? And I think the answer for us lies in the fact that in all three of these stories, she's in the same position. What position does, do we find Mary every time, in every story? When she ministered to the Jesus' feet with the perfume, where was she? At his feet. When Jesus was teaching in the, in the lounge, where was she sitting? At his feet. Where do we find Jesus? Where, where Martha comes and she stands and she talks with Jesus about her brother. What does Mary do? Mary comes and falls down at the feet of Jesus. You see, her default place, her position, always in interacting with Jesus was at his feet. Now, what does that mean, at his feet? What, what, why is that a bigger deal if, if that is true? You see, I think her position towards Jesus shows us something of what she viewed of Jesus, how she saw Jesus. She saw Jesus as the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. She did not just see the Messiah. 
the one who came to save us, to take care of our needs. She saw a little bit more than that. I think she saw that, but there's almost like there's a deeper place in her where she says, this is the king. So that in every situation where she interacted with Jesus, she had the ability, because she was at the feet of Jesus, it's almost like she said this. She said, Lord, it's not how I feel about this event that's important. I want to know what you feel and what you see in this event. And I'm not going to respond about how this event impacts me. I'm going to respond according to how this event impacts you. When, when she was with the first story, remember I said that Judas was distracted by his need in this situation for material gain. So when Judas looked at that situation that was going on in that room, he, his perspective on the situation was determined by what he felt was important, his perspective and what he needed in that event. And he was troubled because it didn't go according to his perspective and his need. When Martha was with Jesus, she was distracted by operating in her gifting, by operating from her sweet spot, by things actually going really well for her. She was distracted by her need to, do the, to just put her best forward and to, to do the perfect thing that was needed at that time. She was distracted by her comfort, her success. She was distracted by the reality that she was operating from what is natural for her. But both of those parties was looking and interacting with Jesus from the base of what they were perceiving and what they were wanting out of this situation. Where Mary came and said, Lord Jesus, I want to see what you see in this situation. And I want to respond according to what you want from this situation. And the only place where you can do that is if you're at the feet of somebody. You see, because when you're at the feet of somebody, you put yourself in a position where you recognize the authority and the honor that this person deserves. John Bevere wrote his book on honor's reward. And in that book, he brings out the principle where he says you can only receive from people to the level that you honor them. And, and he, quote, he talks about the story, for instance, when Jesus went to his hometown. Remember when Jesus went to his hometown? And the scripture tells us, and, and you can go read the story. It's in, I don't have time to read it for you. It's in, in Matthew 13, verse 54 to 58, where Jesus is in his hometown. And the scripture tells us that he couldn't do all the miracles that he could do in other places because the people didn't honor him for, for, for being God. Instead of seeing the son of God, they saw the son of Joseph. They said, who is he? Isn't he just the son of Joseph? And because they only honored him as the son of Joseph, they could only receive what the son of Joseph could give them. But when other people saw Jesus and they saw he was the son of God, you could receive from Jesus what the son of God could give you. So what Mary was doing was saying, Lord Jesus, I honor you. It's, this is not about how I see things. This is not what I need from this. This is what you want. John Bevere says in his book, true honor is an outflow from a heart that fears God. True honor. And I think you can include with that worship. True worship comes from a heart that says, God, it's you first. Putting in other words, it's what Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God. You see, I think for many of us, this is our challenge. 
Sometimes we go through times of trouble. Times of trouble are times where things aren't looking the way we want them to look and where things aren't going the way that we feel they should be going. And it's in times like that where we get distracted by the trouble and we start dealing with that situation and we start saying, what do we need from this situation? And we can even engage with God and we can come to God and we can say, God, this is what I need from this situation. This is how I need this situation to work out. And my whole perspective and everything I do is about what I need from this situation. Or sometimes we get distracted by the favor of a situation because things are going so well for us. We're really doing well. We're in our sweet spot. We're operating from our gifting. Things are going really good. We're getting the results that we want. Things are lining up with what our perspective of life is and what we need from it. It's lining up and we feel great. And then we go to God and we say, Lord, thank you. And we interact with God from that place. But I think a life that has the ability to maximize every opportunity is a life that is lived at the feet of Jesus. That has the ability to say, Lord, I'm troubled by this situation, but show me your perspective. Show me what you want from this situation. Because so often when I'm in a troubled situation, I talk about myself personally, my prayer is, Lord, get me out of here. But the Lord may be saying, I've, I have put you there because I have a need for this situation. And you are the way that I'm going to get, have my way in that situation. So Lord, yes, I'm troubled and the trouble arrests my attention. The trouble gets me going. But I need to bring it to the Lord and say, Lord, show me your perspective. Perhaps I have trouble in a relationship. Can I ask, Lord, show me your perspective on this relationship? Perhaps I have a trouble with a person. Can, God, can you say, Lord, show me your perspective on this person. Show me your need for this relationship. Show me what you want in this situation. Or sometimes things are going so well with me. Everything is great. And then I'm so happy and I celebrate and I worship and I thank God because everything's going well for me. But can I even in those situations come to Jesus and say, Lord, thank you for your favor upon my life. But show me your perspective. What do you see in this situation? What do you need from this situation? And I think when we have that positioning in our lives, and can I use the term sitting at the feet of Jesus, we will do a far better job of understanding what the moment requires. Because sometimes people read these stories, and particularly the story of where Jesus said to Martha, he said, you're busy with many things, and they, they'll interpret it to say, you must spend more time with God. Now, I'll be honest with you, when I read those stories, Martha didn't spend more time with Jesus than Mary. They both spent time with Jesus. But the position they did it in was different. What they brought into that was different. The expectancy they had was different. And I think as a, as a people, as a community, God is journeying with us and he's taking us forward into things that, that he wants us and he wants you in your workplace, in your family, in your health, in your financial life, in every part of, of our lives. He wants us to hit the mark and to get the opportunities that we need, not only for our sake, but for the sake of the kingdom. And he's, I think as a church, he's putting us in a journey, in a season of maximizing opportunities. 
But we can only do it if we are at the feet of Jesus. Can I ask the worship team to join me on stage? Can I ask that everybody else, will you stand with me? The watch here on the pulpit says it's six minutes past ten in the evening. So sorry for going on so long. I wonder if you can just, just take a moment. And as our musicians are going to just help us and, and help us position ourselves to the, before the Lord this morning. I don't know if you're facing a time of trouble or a time of favor. But can we this morning bring our lives to the Lord and say, Lord, whether it's trouble or whether it's favor, I don't want to miss the opportunity. I want to hit this. I want to be a Mary. I want to read the moments correctly so that my actions can have eternal significance so that little moments can turn into big events because I saw what you wanted me to see and I did what you needed me to do Lord that I was able to step beyond putting myself in the center of everything and putting Jesus in the center I want to be at the feet of Jesus Holy Spirit, I pray that for each of us, you'll just be busy with us right now. Just speak to us, Lord. Just speak to us. Show us, Lord, how to put Jesus at the center. How to be at the feet of Jesus. And come, Holy Spirit, and just draw from us that worship that comes from being positioned at your feet. Draw from us that reverence, that honor that belongs to you, Lord. This morning I pray, Holy Spirit, come and take us deeper. Take us further. I would like the, the team just to lead us. And I know we're a little bit over time, but don't miss a moment. Just let the Holy Spirit come and stir within you. Stir within you just that, that deeper place. That place of honor for who Jesus is. They're going to lead us in a song, a song of just worship and just being at the feet of Jesus, just being positioned. And as we just worship for this moment, it's not going to be long, just for this moment. Do not underestimate what God can do in positioning you for the opportunities that he has planned and prepared for you. Like Mary, you will find yourself in places that you would never think you belong and God can use you come Holy Spirit just move with us right now just draw from us this worship just draw from us Lord we pray in Jesus name I'd like to encourage you today this week make it a point to sit at the feet of Jesus not just to spend time with him that's very important and that's the, the big part of it but to in that time say Lord it's all about you what do you want 
I sense there's people here in this room today and you are having, facing some really challenging realities in your life. Ask Jesus for his perspective. Ask him what he requires of you. Don't just react. Don't just do for goodness sake. Sit at his feet first. We want to pray with you this morning. If you if you would like any of our team, our leaders, our elders, our pastors, to just pray with you for some issue that you're facing. It's our privilege to do that. If you want to come and talk to somebody and say, I, I want to know Jesus. I want to begin a relationship with him. I want to invite him to my life. Then come and we'll help you with that. But may the Lord bless you in this week and may you experience just the closeness of the Father. Whether you're in trouble or in comfort, May you have him close to you. The Lord bless you in Jesus' name. We'll see you next week. Amen.